0: afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. It is Thursday, which means Guy Talk is going to start in just a minute. We've got uh, Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish uh, holding down the fort today. We've got a few absentees that are out. 007 is out. On a mission. On a mission, of course. He's in Kosovo, probably. And then Dr. Peter Kapsner is out as well. I don't know what his excuse is, but I don't like it, whatever it is. Nope. When I'm here. So uh, welcome, Tom Parrish, and welcome, Tom Brock. Good to be with Hi, you, Bill. Hi, Hi,
1: everybody in Radio Land.
0: <laughs> Thank you for that, Tom. <laughs> I want to now alert all listeners to start with the questions. Get them over to me right now, 877-933-2484. If you have a question you've always wanted to ask a pastor, now's the time, 877-933-2484. I'm thinking about some people in Scripture like Moses, like Noah, like Abraham. Things were going along pretty well for them, and then a call comes into their life, and their life changes pretty pretty dramatically. Now, with COVID and this year and a half of reshuffling, I think a lot of people are trying to figure out what's my next season in life, What's what is God calling me to do? How do you guys understand the call of God on your life?
2: Thomas, I'll let you go first. You're you're the one that understands this so well.
3: I
1: just talked to i am sitting at a Lutheran camp, and I just had a discussion with a guy telling him I'm from Minneapolis, which is falling apart as we speak, and actually I'm I'm from Brooklyn Center, which is really falling apart. Uh, and And I said to him, you know, Minnesota's cold, I said, you know, I'm conservative, Minnesota is liberal, but the Lord called me here, so here I stay. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, same with Moses. <laughs> I don't think Moses enjoyed his time in the wilderness for 40 years, and in and, uh, and Abraham, too, having the journey, uh, he didn't know where he was going. But I'd rather be doing the will of the Lord than anything else, because it, it is such well, I want to say a kick. It is very enjoyable to to do what the Lord calls you to do, even in cold, liberal Minneapolis.
2: <laughs> well, and I agree. One thing I find interesting is that in uh, Ecclesiastes, Solomon talks about that eternity has been planted in everyone's heart. And I think the drive in life for all of us is we want to do something. We want a purpose. We want to accomplish things that have really an eternal purpose. And most people struggle with that, and they get so frustrated because they can't find that. And I'm not sure, as the church, and I've been a pastor a long time, we've done a good job articulating that. And yet, when you go to Scripture, uh, I love uh, 2 Corinthians five sixteen to 20. It summarizes it so well. It says two things there. It says, number one, you know, that we have been called to be ambassadors of the gospel and ministers of reconciliation. And those are eternal, because our job is to do that until the day we die. Last night, I had a home church. And somebody asked me at that home church, well, pastor, you know, how did you know what to do after you retired? I said, well, I wasn't called by Jesus to be a pastor. I was called to be an ambassador of the gospel. And so whether I'm getting paid by a church or whether I'm serving a church, that doesn't end. And I prayerfully, I'm going to do that right up to the day I die. So all you listeners out there, look at that text in Second Corinthians 5. 16 to 20 and put your name in there because you also believers in Jesus are ambassadors of the gospel ministers of reconciliation and that's your job no matter how you make an income
0: when you look at someone like Moses though, I mean he's doing pretty well in Egypt right doing things, are quite going, well. things are going swimmingly and then all of a sudden the call comes in and disturbs him and the next thing you know he's hanging out with slaves yep and the poor
2: mm-hmm. um, well sometimes calls work that way I mean oh, I, I agree I mean, calls have a tendency to be like, when I was a kid, I, I discovered what a 110 line was about in my house by <laughs> by, by sticking uh-huh. some metal in there when I was a little kid. And boy, did I get a shock. Yeah, And here it is all these years later. I remember calls are often, I don't want to say it that dramatic, like an electrical shock, but they change your perspective. Mm-hmm. They change your, the direction of your life. And, and you can't get away from it. That's the interesting thing. I mean, I've I've worked with people that have come out of comas. I've worked with people that had uh, drugs and inducement or whatever, and they have uh, nightmares and they have dreams. Those things don't change their lives. A call from Jesus changes your life. Suddenly you're going one way. Now you see yourself going a whole new way, and that's the only thing ultimately you can think of, even if you get discouraged and down. And
0: then I want to just for a second think of Abraham. I mean, he has a call, and he's not a young man. No. And things were kind of comfortable for him. Uh, He was in a nice place. His whole rest of his life is kind of laid out in front of him. He's got certain levels of safety and status, right? Mm -hmm. Probably some security. And And then what? He starts off obeying the Lord. Yeah. And everything that happens after that is pretty unpredictable.
2: I had a gentleman in my first congregation come to me he was a multi-millionaire he had been extremely successful in advertising he was known all over the country and i don't know how he started coming to my little church in bellbrook ohio but he did and became a member became quite involved but we sat down one day bill and he looked at me and he said i have more money than i know what to do with i have had health all my life but i've got to ask you pastor is this all there is Because he knew there was more to it than just where he was at. And so that's what I think everybody struggles with. There's got to be more to it than just making a lot of money, becoming famous, or any of those things. What's the eternal purpose?
1: And you know, uncomfortable as it was for Moses and Abraham to pull up stakes and go wherever the Lord was telling them to go, it really was an adventure for these men. And it wasn't your boring life. And following Christ is an adventure. And yeah. you, know, you can choose comfort, you can choose comfort, but you might have a very boring life and miss the reason you were put on the planet. I remember uh John Piper who was the pastor for many years at Bethlehem Baptist downtown Minneapolis. Um uh, I was talking to him in the lobby once because I visited one Sunday. And something like this happened. It's been many years, but um some guy came up and said, "Pastor, Uh, Do you remember when you preached years ago, uh, a year ago, that when you retire, you shouldn't uh, buy a Winnebago and vacation the rest of your life away? You should find a ministry in your retirement. And he said, yeah. And he said, well, do you see that elderly couple over there? They had just bought a Winnebago before they heard your sermon, and they've sold it. And now they have a, a track ministry for truckers. And, uh, and, and you know the, the the illustration that John Piper uses is that Christians should not um, all move to warmer climates and vacation the rest of their lives away. And he talked about a couple that did that, and you know, when they stand before God on Judgment Day, what are they going to say? Lord, isn't this a wonderful seashell collection? Yeah. You, know, you don't want to do. You don't want to do that. So, yeah. just I encourage everybody and me. When it's hard, hang in there. There's really nothing I'd rather do than serve
0: the Lord. Right. Let's all be careful about the specifics we use because there are people who buy Winnebago's who have a powerful ministry to other people at Winnebago parks. There you go. I agree. I'm dead serious because I actually have heard yeah. this
2: from listeners. It is not the object in your life. It's what you do with that of object course. that makes all the yeah. difference. It, and the problem is we don't help, especially people with money. Realize they can do a lot more with those resources right. than a lot of other people can do, and that's what we challenge them to do. Right. Yep.
1: And then, can I say one more thing? You should do, having gone through COVID for 17 days and wondering, how am I going to get rid of my stuff? <laughs> I know a man who died of COVID, good friend of mine, and he had gotten his ducks in a row. He played the stock market a lot. He's you know he was in his 70s. But he did it all to to leave the money to the ministry, and I think I think for people who are older listening to this program, you know, uh, if you give to your kids, your grandkids, okay, but make sure you you give a good chunk to the work of the
2: gospel. Agreed. What had a big impact in my life is years ago, Jan and I were in Dhaka, Bangladesh. One of the missionaries said, "I've got three young men I want you to meet." these three young Muslim men had all met Jesus in a dream and had become Christians. And they were out preaching the gospel. They'd all been beaten. They'd been rejected by their family. They couldn't find work. If other Christians didn't support them, they wouldn't eat because they were Christian in a Muslim country. And I sat with them and Jen and I did in a mud house and they told me their stories of how they came to Jesus. And I said, is it worth it? I wanted to just see. Now I, I, knew what they were going to say or thought I did. But what they said were even more powerful. They said, worth it? Of course it is. We know we have eternal life, and we know why we were created. Mm-hmm. And think about that. How many people get that in their life? We yeah. should all have it as Christians, but few get it.
1: Yep. Think about this. We're on earth for one second compared to eternity. And, you know, somebody preached a sermon called, what did you do with your dash? Meaning, when you look on your tombstone, it says, "You know, Bill Arnold, uh, year dash year, he died." The big I question is, what I did you? Died. Do? Well, oh, okay. Uh, Stop uh, it with these
0: falsehoods well, today.
1: Let me, let me try. Okay, but in my but the question is, what did you do with your dash? What did you do with that time in between your birth and your death? Did you use your split second, compared to eternity, to serve
0: the Lord? That's good contemplation. All right. Send your questions over, eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four 2484 Again, eight seven seven 2484 I'm real curious, too. Have you had a uh, a recreational outlet where you have found, an, found it to be an incredible opportunity to share Christ? You know, maybe you're retired and you become a fishing guide, and you get to sit in a boat for six hours a day with guys and talk to them about Jesus while they fish. Oh, yeah. That's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. All right, we'll mm-hmm. take a short break. Pastors Tom and Tom are on my power panel today. Be right back. Welcome back to Guide Talk. Pastors Tom and Tom are the power panel today. Hey, Tom Brock. Here's a question from listener. My wingman, my wingman Terry wants to know: Does Tom Brock know the traditional praise song "Little Is Much" when God is in it?
1: You know, I I couldn't sing it. Why not? But I think I, I well because I don't I don't know it that well. I think I've heard it, but okay. <laughs> not, but I don't know it very well. My, in, in, do you know a song called Revelation Song? Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, who mm-hmm. was and is and is to come. I, I want Tom Parrish to preach at my my uh, funeral, and I want somebody to sing that at my funeral, along with Old Rugged Cross. And maybe, Bill, you could do magic tricks at my funeral. <laughs> don't, yeah. you, don't, you do, don't you still do magic
0: tricks? Yeah, I'd be happy to, Tom. That'd be, uh, <laughs> That'd
1: be wonderful.
0: <laughs> uh, that will help me check off something on my bucket list. <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh,
1: what, my death, or are you
0: doing that? <laughs> oh, my. Okay. All right, yeah. All right, here's another question. What do you do when you see someone, or sometimes a whole family, on the sidewalk asking for money? I feel compassion for them, but everyone tells me not to give them money.
2: Tom Parrish? It's a struggle. It really is. And, uh, you know, I generally want to help people, and I usually carry some cash if I run into a situation. But years ago when I was at Hope... Um, we would have people come by the church and they would say, my furnace went out, I need money. They weren't members of the church. We didn't know them. Mm-hmm. But we have these people come by on a regular basis. And I remember going back to leadership and they gave me like a $500 little account of cash. And so the next time somebody came in and said, you know, oh, my my car's not running or whatever, I said, wow, you come to the right place. We have a work program. And what will happen is we'll pay you $12 an hour starting right at this moment, And if you work for three hours, then we'll pay you the the $36 or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. and you can get what you need. And out of that, I don't know how many people we did that with, but we really only had one couple that took advantage of it. It actually worked. The rest were in too big of a hurry or were after something else. I don't know the answer with individuals. All I know is I want to give them an alternative to what they're asking for and see if they really have a need. And if they do, guess what? They'll work. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I got an opinion on this. And you know, there there Jesus said give Let to whoever asks of you. Let me check to see if
2: we have time first. Oh, it
0: looks like we do. <laughs> it looks it Wait looks like I we do have time. Go ahead, Tom.
1: I want to pontificate. <laughs> uh, you know, I I the verse when Jesus said give to whoever asks of you, does that mean if somebody um and then but temper that verse with Jesus, make my brother just divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus basically says, no, who made me a judge over you? So Jesus said no to the request. You got the apostle Paul saying, he that does not work, neither let him eat. And he's got some very strict rules for which widows will be put on the list to get money and food out of the church. So when I'm at a stop sign and somebody's holding up a sign, well, I'll be honest, I never give them money. I give my money to mission groups that help, you know, the the needy, et cetera, because I know where it's going. I don't want to feed a system of helping people um, not get a job. And I I feel bad. I feel bad for the people that are mentally ill uh, that can't hold a job. And, and I you know I think there should be government programs for that kind of thing. But on the other hand, uh, Bill and Tom, the senior pastor that preceded me had a mercy gift. So when pa- people mm-hmm. would come in off the street, uh, he'd give them money. When I became senior pastor, the well ran dry, <laughs> and, and the, people, the, the people didn't come anymore after they heard me explain things. So you got to be loving and kind. But, you know, here's what St. Augustine said in the 400s. Jesus said, give to whoever asks of you. But he didn't say, give whatever they ask of you. You may give them a kind word. You may give them a gentle rebuke. So I think we got to temper all this and, and put it all together. Uh.
2: You know, it's interesting, Tom. What a coincidence, because I gave money to a guy on the street several years ago, and he said, thanks for the money, and tell Pastor Brock, thanks for waving as he went by.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there he was.
2: Well, what about how important it is as, as believers
0: to if you choose not to give money of any kind, to make sure that you make eye contact and maybe smile. Yeah. Um, and just let them know that they're,
2: they're a human, that they're being seen and they matter. That's incredible. And I, we should all do that because I think the thing that we can give people, the most valuable thing we can give people is a moment, a t- some time, look them in the eye, treat them as individuals, respect them for who they are. We don't do enough of that. And if we would do that, it could change a lot of things. And uh, I, I try to do that. I'm not as successful as I'd like to be, but I do try to do that. And especially with kids. I will go out of my way to, to try to look kids in the eye and talk to them and to tell them, you know, that uh, nice to meet them and that I would tell many that Jesus loves them. And some of these kids, literally, there was one day they were following me around like a Pied Piper because they were not used to in the inner city getting somebody to tell them that they're valuable.
1: And we got to be open to the divine interruptions. You know, if I've got my day planned out and something happens, boom, that's going to wreck it for a while, to see that as for some reason, God allowed this. And whether that be kids bothering you and you're taking the time with the kids or whatever, uh, we need to, I mean, think of Jesus. He's going to heal, what, it was it the centurion's uh, servant? And this lady interrupts him on the way and grabs the the fringe of his garment, and he slowed down and he dealt uh, with the woman and healed her. So we got to be open to letting God interrupt our plans.
0: Agreed. Yeah. Martha in in Manchester said, I have items that I keep in my car, like mittens and socks and protein bars that I give to people at stop signs. That's great. And then Rosie's sister has water, granola bars, and a $5 bill and lunch bags in her car. She gives them uh, a bag when she passes by. Yeah. That's really, really sweet. And you're prepared, equipped, ready to go. Yep. You can make a difference,
2: give them a smile and a little something to munch on. Well, you know, it's easy for all of us to carry those protein bars or things like that. And there really are people out there quite hungry. And sometimes, you know, they're, I mean, they may be struggling with other things. But to actually be able to hand it to them, uh, I've seen, I haven't done it recently, but I've seen other people do that when I've been out in the street with them, hand out like the protein bars. And I've watched people tear up and say, thank you. You know, I haven't had anything to eat in the last 24 hours.
1: And, Tom, when someone asks me for money, I tear up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Remember when Tom Brock goes on vacation, I'll be putting a sign in front of his house. The house is open. Come get anything you want. Right. <laughs> there's, there's,
1: a great, there's a great cartoon of a woman holding a baby that's crying, and, and her friend says, what's wrong with the baby? He's teething. And then the next frame, it's the woman next to her husband who's crying. What's wrong with your husband? He's tithing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. When I first came to Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I seem to sense his voice and presence often. As the years have passed, I rarely sense his voice or feel his hand on me. Is this normal, or what am I doing wrong?
2: Tom Parrish. I've heard that a lot from people over the years, and uh especially adults that go through a conversion. When you go through a a teenager or an adult conversion, there seems to be an in-tuneness with the spiritual realm, with the Lord Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, uh, in the beginning that most people have never experienced before. So it's very powerful for them and very exciting. Now, there are some people that go on, and, and they seem to have that kind of contact all their life. But the vast majority have come to me and said, I don't understand it the first two years I, I felt the Lord's presence. I felt I, every time I heard the scripture, I heard his voice, something was going on. Last four years have been empty. And my basic response to that is, okay, so if, if you're not getting that response, then keep going back to the word. Because that is the Lord's primary way of directing us. And keep going back and renewing your relationship with him. Uh, because I wish I could say every day I heard the Lord's voice. Um, it doesn't work that way. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. But I know the word is reliable. And if I put the word to work, I'm doing the Lord's will. Mm-hmm.
1: And pe- some people don't know this, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John overwhelmingly cover just three years from Jesus from age 30 to 33. That's when all the ministry stuff happens. And during those three years, Jesus walked with the disciples. And then took them on top of the mountain once, I think. I can't think of another time he did. And he was transfigured before them. And he shone, mm-hmm. and they saw that this was a supernatural uh, man of, you know, God and man. Um, but then at, right after the transfiguration faded away, Jesus and the, those three disciples, Peter, James, and John, went down to the bottom of the hill. And the disciples can't cast a demon out of a boy, and it's kind of back to normal crud as usual. And, and and then I think one reason Jesus gave them the transfiguration was to get them through what was soon coming up, which was the crucifixion. And, uh, you know, hopefully that would get them through. So I think what I would say to this caller, n- the norm is to live in the valley where we don't have all kinds of great feelings. And I think the norm is we live in the valley. And now and then God gives us a mountaintop and it, it brings us closer to him. But boy, a lot. I mean, think of the valleys of the apostles. Supposedly, according to early church history, every one of them was martyred except for John, who died of old age. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, too, remember I, I was raised Christian, but it was a college that my faith really came alive. And they were probably the most wonderful times of my Christian life. Awesome. But I'm not I'm not going around seeking that all the time, you
0: know. All right, we'll take a short break. Let me know what your questions are, 877-933-2484. It's Guide Talk. Pastors Tom Parrish, Tom Brock. We'll be right back. Guy Talk. So glad you're with me today. Us today, I should say. Let me know what your questions are. We've got some great ones coming in. 877-933-2484. Here's a question. I've been praying for something for one of my kids. He or she is a recent college grad waiting for an internship. My question, when we pray, are we supposed to just ask once and then let it be? Or do we continue to pray continually about the same issue? Thoughts?
2: Go ahead, Tom.
1: Well, um, I think of two things: the, the parable where Jesus talks about the uh, the widow knocking on the door of the judge, and just and it says he told this parable that they should never lose heart but keep praying. So I think on big, th- I think on most things, you know, keep praying for your daily bread, salvation of your loved ones, health. You know, just keep knocking on that door and asking the Lord for things. However, there is a time, and I'm thinking of Paul, who had a thorn in the flesh that so we don't know what it was, could have been uh, disease or a demon or uh, enemies following him from town to town. Three times Paul said, Lord, take this thing away. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And I'm thinking that the way that's written, Paul probably stopped asking then for the thorn to go. But uh, unless the Lord makes it clear somehow that Uh, The thorn is going to stay and you should just submit to it. I think it's fine to keep praying until you die.
2: I think the Lord's thrilled when we keep coming in prayer because it's not our nature to want to pray all the time. It's not our nature to want to take things to the Lord. We think we can solve the problem ourselves. And yet when I go to Luke 18 and I read about that widow that comes before the Lord, Um, forgive me, she was a pest. She just kept driving this judge. He wasn't, he's, he was not a righteous judge. He was, but he said, This woman's going to wear me out. Why would Jesus even tell that? Except that he's saying, Look, I, the Father is more interested in hearing from you than you are in talking to him. Don't give up. Whatever it is, keep coming. Now, in the other case with Paul, the Lord directed him. My grace is sufficient. If you get a direct statement from the Lord, or you get a direct word through another Christian that that is the Lord speaking about something you're praying about, then you better change your prayers or rethink it. But until you get answers, uh, I would keep praying. And like you, Tom, I've been praying for some people for 40 years, and I'm not Mm going to give up. Mm -hmm. And Tom Brock, because you're
0: not in the studio today, I can't give you that disturbing look I often give you when you're here. But when you (laughs) said, we don't know what Paul had, whether it was a possible sickness or disease or demon, uh, that's when my red flag went up in my head going, wait a minute, Christians don't have demons.
1: Well, he, Paul, Paul, you know, I just did a TV show. There's a guy in, at Shoreview, uh, it's called Lighthouse International Ministries, and we just interviewed him. Um, he's been dealing with demons for 40 or 50 years, and a real solid guy. And, you know, I asked him that, can a Christian have a demon demon? And, you know, I think we can be um, oppressed by a demon. I don't think I'd want to say a Christian can be possessed by a demon, but can a Christian be troubled by a demon? I think so. Paul calls that thorn in the flesh a, quote, messenger of Satan. Uh, So if if Paul calls it a messenger of Satan, it's possible that he had a demonic attack now and then. I I just... uh, well, yeah. thank
0: thank you for clearing that up, because I, I believe Christians can be oppressed by things from the dark world, but I don't know, I don't believe a Christian can be... Um, possessed. Possessed, yeah, yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. thanks for clearing that up. I'm glad I asked. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. And, Our, and then, you know, one more one more thought on that? Yeah. Uh, I talked to someone who has this still deli- deliverance ministry, and I said, do you cast demons out of Christians? And he said, they're the only people I will cast demons out of because if they're an unbeliever, they'll just come back worse. You know, Jesus told that parable. So, I mean, it, uh, you can't be totally possessed by the devil if you're a Christian because you have the Holy Spirit. Right. But are there things in your life that might need to be cast out? I think so. I think so. And but, he said Christians can cast demons out of themselves even. So that was interesting. Just taking authority in the name of Christ.
0: All right. Well, we're a little off the rails right now, but that's okay. <laughs> Yeah. Um, here's another question. I'm still confused when Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only God is good.
2: You know, I love that. And, and um, I, I wish we had kind of a visual of the scriptures all the time, because this wasn't a big bell should go off. You know, ding, 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 because the guy got it right. He said to Jesus, you know, you're good. And Jesus said, hey, only God is good. Well, guess what? I am God. And so what you got there is you've got the connection actually being made between Jesus and this man. And everybody would have been in shock to hear this man say, good, because Jesus knew what the the religious terms were. And yet Jesus did not throw the term away. Basically, what we're seeing is that Jesus is saying, yeah, you figured out what's going on here and good for you. And that's the struggle for all of us to figure out and understand who Jesus really is and follow Mm -hmm. him.
1: And this man had no idea, and I don't think the disciples understood no. that Jesus was God in human form until after the resurrection. But here's a man that comes up, good teacher, uh, etc. Well, wait a minute. Why do you call me good? Only God is good. And I think what Tom just said is true. He's maybe trying to get this guy to think. Yeah. Well, you just called me good. Only God is good. Therefore, who must I be? You know. And and that's a good verse also when. Yeah, when you go to a sermon, and the erring pastor gets up, well, we know Joe's in heaven, he was a good man. No one is good but God
3: alone.
0: So, All right. Uh, For right. Let's see. Do you think some prayers are answered gradually over time? For example, prayers regarding serious illness.
1: I think of the man that Jesus... Uh, didn't Jesus heal a man by rubbing mud on his eyes and he couldn't see, but then he saw men look walking like trees, and yeah. then what did jesus did Jesus do it again and yes. then he could see perfectly and so there's an example of a twofold healing He's healed first uh, a little bit, and then Jesus heals him totally and I think that happens in our
2: lives, too. You know? Well, I heard an older pastor talk about this years ago, and it really influenced me. He said, in that story, when Jesus put mud on his eyes, uh, you basically now got two groups. Because the guy that didn't get mud put on his eyes but was healed, you now have the muddites and the anti-muddites. Mm-hmm. Because we think that the way it happened for us is the way it should happen for everybody. And yet the creativity of how the Lord goes about healing, whether it's instantaneous, which I've seen, whether it's over time, which I've seen, or whether it's not a healing as we understand it at all, but it is a whole different perspective for the person, that's up to him. So I try my best to stay away from formulas, but I'm still guilty. I try to be careful about that.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. 1 Timothy 4, 8 says, For bodily exercise profit little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that is now and of that which is to come. Question is, given the verse wanted to verify proper context. Many use this as a reason not to exercise, but I believe it's saying although exercise is profitable, it pales in comparison to godliness, which has a greater overall significance in the life of, of a believer. It's not saying not to exercise.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And, 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 and Jesus, you know, talked about the bread. The people came because of the bread, you know, type of thing. And, and he says, I have bread you know nothing about. And the disciples couldn't figure this one out. What's going on? It It's whatever you place as most important in your life. And I grew up through the period of time where everybody was exercising. Oh, man, you had to have so many points per day. If you're really good, you had 80 points a week and all this kind of stuff. The problem is we still die. <laughs> you know, we're going to die mm-hmm. sooner or later. Now, you may live a little longer or may live a little healthier, but the bottom line is go after the things that last eternally. And that's really, I think, mm-hmm. the emphasis here. Yeah, I agree.
1: And Bill, is that First Timothy? Where is that? Do you know?
0: Um, it is First Timothy four,
1: eight. Yep. And I think the verse, uh, the most literal translation, I think, goes something like this: Now, bodily exercise is of some value, but what uh, eternal, uh, godly discipline is of eternal value? Something like that. And it doesn't say uh, exercise is of no value. It says it's of some value, mm-hmm. but compared to eternity, it's pretty tiny. Yeah. So I, I, isn't it sad? We have so many people, Christians included, that spend so much time on their body, their looks, their clothes, and they maybe just don't give much time to, to searching out the Lord in between Sunday mornings. So we, that's, that's why that verse was written. To get us to remember, like Tom just said, our bodies are going to die. You know, I, I love the T-shirt that says, "He who dies with the most toys still dies," <laughs> and and if you die with a you know perfect physique, you're still going to die. So yeah.
0: Yeah, here's one for you, Tom Brock. He who dies with the most toys forces family to have biggest garage sale.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> ah! Ouch, ouch, ouch. That seriously, the Lord dealt with me on that when I had COVID because I I'd look at all the stuff from garage sales all over my condo and I thought I gotta get rid of this. I took five car loads to Bible Missions thrift store. Yeah. Is right.
2: it true though? And I heard this as a rumor, it's going around right now, that you actually have copies of the Dead Sea Scrolls.
1: Um actually no, but you know what I did <laughs> give to Bible no you know what I did give to Bible permissions? Somebody years ago gave me one page out of the 1617 or something King James Bible. and It's been hanging on my wall forever, but I'm thinking, what am I going to do with this? So Bible for missions, got it.
0: (laughs) I like that. All right, here's another question. I have Christian friends following and believing a prophetess on YouTube. Are there prophets today? How can I respond? Because it feels like they have false hope.
2: Oh. I think it's how we want to define a biblical prophet. If you define a biblical prophet, if somebody can always foretell the future, and prophets do that to a degree, there's some legitimacy. But I know that biblical prophecy is much more forthtelling about the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, you know, you've sat under preachers or teachers that were the kind that when they spoke, you really paid attention. And others, when they spoke, you didn't pay much attention at all. I think the same thing is true here. So, yes, can there be biblical prophecies today? I, I would want to see what she's saying and what's going on. But can a woman bring a word from the Lord to us today that we need to pay attention to? Out of his word? Of course. I believe that with all yeah. my heart. Out of his word, though. Out of his word. I, but it's Philip not going to contradict what? the word. Yeah, it's did, not. Gonna...
1: Did Philip did Philip have seven virgin daughters who prophesied something like that in the book of Acts? Yes. And... And, and Paul talks about women prophesying in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 or 14. I just, you know, I, I, and there are Christian groups that believe all those gifts stopped when the New Testament was completed about 90 A.D. I don't believe that out mm-hmm. anywhere that says all these gifts stop when John puts down his quill from reading, re, writing Revelation. So I believe there's a legitimate gift called prophecy. The question is, what exactly was that in the early church? Right. Some people think it was mainly just preaching. That was the same thing. But you got Agabus binding Paul's hands with a belt saying, this is going to happen to you when you got to get to Jerusalem. So there was some of that supernatural prophesying, but it might have been just in the main, just giving a word of exhortation. And, you know, a gifted preacher, certainly, that can be kind of a prophecy. So I don't want to close the door on all of it, I will say, say that I see enough craziness on the Internet and on TV preachers that makes me go, come on, you know. And just some strong opinion, to, you know, some strong opinion that someone has about some detail of these end times is the word of the Lord now, because the Lord gave me a dream. You just got to be careful.
0: Yeah, my red flag's off the chart right now. Let me take a little break. Guy Talk is still with us for another 15 minutes, so shoot your questions over, 877-933-2484. It's 45 minutes after the hour, and I'm awfully glad you're here with me today, with us, I should say. Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, is the power panel today for Guy Talk. (laughs) ¶¶ Side talk, and we've got some great questions coming in. Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish are the power panel. Double O Seven seems to be on a mission, and Dr. Peter Kapsner, who knows what he's doing, <laughs> but they will be back next week. Good, yes, yes. All right. Um, let's see another comment from my wingman Terry. He said, um, "I believe I'm hearing God's voice all day long through Faith Radio. I never feel He's silent, and I always feel He's close, even when I'm going through hard circumstances, which never go away." I'm always grateful, and I'm always praising His name. It's a good word. That's a great word. I
1: think, and I think that's true too. Both are true. God is always dealing with me, and He puts thoughts in my head, and et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's true. We can walk that way with the Lord. But how often do we have the transfiguration mountain kind of experience? I don't think we're. Spo- I, I think to, to try to get the mountaintop all the time, mm-hmm. you kind of get you kind of get weird, and you, some churches just it's always about hype you've always got to, you know experience big emotional whatever and come to the revival tonight the holy spirit will fall Uh, hundreds will be saved and healed and how do they know that the lord moves when and where he wills you know so
0: well let's see here i'm just weeding through some great questions coming in um Sorry for the delay. They're coming in fast and furious. I'm just trying to read them. You guys want to, Tom Brock? You want to sing or something?
1: You make me feel so no, young. No,
0: no, 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 not that. Sing like a oh. meaningful hymn.
1: Oh, no, Sinatra.
0: No, no, I Sinatra.
1: I love old rugged cross. That's such a good hymn.
0: All right, I found I a question. I want
1: somebody to sing that. my you know, I've said that. I said it twice now.
0: Yeah, I know. I know. Right,
1: right. after your magic act. <laughs> Yeah. I'm sorry. I shut up now.
0: That's okay. That's okay. (laughs) This is an interesting comment. I don't know if it's a question, but it's a comment where God created everything and knew our future long ago. But the point is, did God allow us to invent stuff? Because such inventions that help us every day, even little things. I mean, his example, which is very cute, was did God create arm deodorant, um, or did he just create it via free will and discovery? In other words, God allowed us with our brains uh, to come up and invent this stuff, but actually God knew about it all along.
2: Well, the the truth is, the Lord was way ahead of all of us from the very beginning, and when the Bible says we're created in his image, who's more creative than the Lord God Almighty? Uh, father son and holy spirit so there is a creativity within us and some of us just have a, a preference that we can do things we can make things we can invent things and i still believe the lord's hand is in all of it i mean if you want to go to the real patent office which is in heaven i don't care what it is its is has been made out there you know it's got the lord's stamp on it the problem is we rarely give him the credit in this culture and we have a tendency to give ourselves the credit but it's still the lord working through believers and unbelievers to accomplish his will.
1: Mhm. Yep. And when I hear deodorant, I think think of sitting in confirmation class <laughs> at age 12 <laughs> and my lutheran pastor telling us kids that he didn't think christians should use deodorant. Oh boy. Like I think it I think his point was that it's too vain or something. <laughs> really? I don't know about that guy. Yeah, I think so. And then, you know, Ma, uh, and our church was hot in the summer in Omaha cuz it was not air conditioned. And one one other little line here, my mom had some zingers, and my brother and I, when we were young, mom, do we have to go to church? It's so hot in church in the summer. And she'd say, boys, it's hotter in hell. <laughs> <laughs> and she'd get us in the car, and we'd go to church. Yeah. So there you go.
0: All right. My pastor, preaches from the Bible, often verse by verse, which that's encouraging. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. I love that. He consistently repeats the content of the verse, but, but offers no real application. Um, so I'm not coming away with tons of in, insights or plans of action. Yeah. Should we talk to the pastor about that? I think they should. Yeah. And, you know, this
1: This is the perennial complaint. Oh, we love our pastor, et cetera, et cetera. But it's all kind of up in the air. and He never tells me how to apply it to my personal life. And Tom Parrish uh, had a good um, uh, procedure that at the end of every sermon, the, the question would be asked, okay, what am I going to do about what I just heard this week? Give me one specific thing you're going to do this week because of our scripture text just Ooh, now I like that, that I preached on. And to do it every single Sunday is, you know, you don't have to do it every Sunday, but regularly. And, and you know, yeah, pastors, I think this, this couple should gently, uh, kindly say, you know, Pastor, any way you can tell us in the sermon every week, how do I do something from this text? How do I apply this to my life?
2: Yeah, the truth is most of us don't know. Even though we're believers, we hear the Word. But making the jump from what the Word says to what it really means and then how we put that to work in our daily life, I need examples from people. I need testimonies from others. I need to hear what others are doing. And oftentimes that stimulates me to do something either similar or a bit different but along the same vein. So I really believed in that in terms of my preaching and teaching that you're not going to leave without being challenged to do something with what you've heard in God's Word.
0: I like that. All right, gentlemen, here's another question. I have an uncle who is currently right now in hospice care. In his life, he mocked church, and he was not very nice to be around. Anyway, I just received a phone call that his time is obviously short, and I have this urge to go visit him, talk to him, and invite him to repent and receive Jesus.
2: I haven't done this yet. Any insights? Wonderful. Because when you get that urging from the Lord. Oh, okay. He's moving. And oftentimes some very hard-nosed people, and I've worked with them and I've seen them on their deathbed. It's amazing when they get to that final 30 minutes, that final hour, when they realize this is it. How suddenly all the walls come down and they start talking honestly about mm-hmm. what's really going to happen. So I would say go have a basic understanding of how to present the good news of the gospel of Jesus, that we need to repent, receive him as Lord and Savior, you know, uh, trust in him for our forgiveness and let go of our sins. That's powerful. People will do that and understand that it's very, very effective, and I've seen it done over and over. Spiritual CPR. Exactly. Yep. yep.
1: I, I I grew up with a friend named Irv, and he, he's a Christian guy, and one of our fellow high school students, Randy, was dying so Irv goes to the hospital and he really wants to share the gospel. He gets to the hospital room, other people that are in the room and didn't seem right, et cetera. So Irv thought, okay, I'll just come back. Well, Irv told me this with tears in his eyes because Randy died before he can get back. Now, you, you, you don't want to over guilt yourself. God can do whatever. But if you got the urge to do it, and if I can share this one more time, the bright spot of me having COVID for 17 days, about four nights, I thought I was maybe going to die. I had the clarity of mind to write a salvation text to my family and friends who have heard Uncle Tom preach the gospel, and some of them I don't think want to hear it anymore. But I, and because I thought maybe I'm dying. (laughs) And so I typed this thing up, and am I going to hit the send button or not? And I prayed about it, and I thought, well, why not? You know? And I pushed the button, and I'd rather. Risk offending people for their salvation than to be quiet, so that you know that I'm so glad I did that, and what it did I don't know, but at least I pushed the button, so I would encourage this person pray about it and go quickly and mm-hmm. tell as as the angels told the shepherds on Christmas
0: a couple of minutes left, gentlemen, so we have one more uh question here I can cover uh thoughts on the role of pastors speaking about political issues. Um, my brother attended church where the pastor regularly spends his time behind the pulpit talking about Bill Gates or Nancy Pelosi or many other political figures, and I'm concerned that he spends too much time doing that and not preaching the Word of God. Mm-hmm.
2: It's a danger. There's a danger. There's a place to intersect the gospel with the culture and what's going on. I mean, we admire now, look back on all those pastors who spoke against slavery before the Civil War, Matter of fact, it's been said that it was the Protestant pastors preaching against slavery that brought about the Civil War. On the other hand, what we don't want to do is negate the gospel message itself. Because deep inside, the only real political change is not going to come through belonging to an organization, being a Republican or Democrat. It's going to come from a change of heart. Right. And I want the heart that changes and has the mind of Jesus. Tom Brock, yeah. twenty seconds.
1: Yeah, I don't think we should preach against uh the liberals in government. Neither should we preach against the conservatives in government. You know, preach on moral issues: uh, abortion, homosexuality, etc. We got to preach on the moral issues. It's not our point uh, place to get in the pulpit, and give specific candidates that you should vote for. Let mm-hmm. people sort that out themselves.
0: Preach the word of God, pastors. All yep, right, thank you, gentlemen. Right. It's been a delight. There, Bill. Yeah, thanks. Have a great trip, Tom. Thanks, Bill. And okay. uh, yeah, enjoy your time in wherever you are.
3: Okay. Take yeah. care everybody. While,
0: while Tom Parrish and I watch your condo. <laughs> <laughs> the sign is up. Yeah, right. Uh, for sale. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll take a little break when we come back. Deep thinker Thursday is just around the corner. John and Pam Bloom are in the green room, chomping at the bit to get here in the studio. We'll be right back.